Greg Stanley. Welcome to Auto Sausage, where we grind together automotive awesomeness. So today I'm going to give you an overview of what JDM cars are and why you should care. But before we start, I want to give an update on my auto auction guessing game. Game number seven is live now, but you have to get your guesses in by 11.59 p.m. tonight for a chance to win over $200 in prizes. This includes everything from beef jerky to car care prizes and dog treats. Had a lot of cool dog treats. So if you have a dog, this is the one for you. The next guessing game is for the Meekum Harrisburg auction that goes from July 31st to August the 3rd. So the guessing window will be two weeks prior to that. We'll open on July the 17th and we'll close on July the 30th. So please check sausage.com for updates and be sure to listen to my podcast as I'll have an overview of the next five cars for that auction coming up here soon as well as what the prizes will be. I'm still working on getting some cool stuff for everyone. So a quick reminder on how this guessing game works. I pick five cool cars from an upcoming auction. In this case, it's the Harrisburg Mecham auction. You enter what you think they will sell for at the auction at autosausage.com. There's a little survey there, and it will give a picture. It will give a description. It will give the Haggerty price guide for that item. It will give any top estimates. It will give my estimate as well. Enter it. You don't have to have any experience to play. And if it does not sell, like it, if it doesn't meet the reserve, I'll take whatever the highest bid price was. And so whoever's the closest across all five cars, higher or lower, will win the prize and will be announced on the following podcast. So podcasts come out every Thursday, and it's a fun thing to do, and we've given out a lot of great prizes. So what are JDM cars, and why should you care? So JDM stands for Japanese Domestic Market, and these are the cars that were produced in Japan and never technically sold in the U.S. So you would see these every once in a while through the gray market, where maybe they made some adjustments so that it met U.S. regulations and very expensive to do. So you never really saw these cars. Well, now they've hit the 25-year mark so that they're able to come into the U.S. because the standard for emissions and crash safety regulations is a lot less because it's considered uh, an antique car or a classic car. These cars were made for Japanese regulations and for the taste of Japanese buyers. So since they drive on the left over there, these are right-hand drive cars for the most part. And they have cool things like the usually the the side view mirrors are up on the fender. Uh, there's just a lot of cool little things. They're not called the same thing typically as they are here, like the 300ZX, Nissan 300ZX over here. It's a Nissan Fairlady 300ZX over there. Some cool little differences that make them kind of neat and different, and you don't see them that often. So as more cars hit this 25-year mark, more will come to the U.S., and you'll see a larger collector market. So these prices will go up on these cars, more will come here. The really cool and special and rare ones will rise in price above all the others. So JDM cars are not a big deal until you realize how awesome they really are and now that we can actually get them. So right now we can get anything that's pre-1995 and a lot of these cars were actually sold in Japan and through the 2002 time frame. So as they got newer, quote unquote newer, from 95 to 2002, they got better, more performance, more options, and those are the ones that are coming up in the next few years. So I will quantify this in the future episode. I'll say, hey, you need to buy this car next year, you know, because it's about to come up to its 25 years. Everything that I'm talking about right now, you can find on autosausage.com. And you can check for updates on my Instagram handle, at autosausage. So JDM cars are classified two ways. They either fall in one of two buckets. They're either a white plate car or a yellow plate car. So white plate cars are usually the bigger sedans 
which in the U.S. are called regular sedans. <laughs> They're more expensive, a little bit nicer. Uh, the yellow plate cars are usually smaller, narrower for the Japanese streets, and they cost less. So think of your service vehicles or cars that are used for daily transportation. So white plate cars are more expensive to operate, to buy and to operate, than the yellow plate cars in every area. And we'll go over that here shortly. So why should you care that you can now import a JDM car? So these cars are just awesome. They're really cool. Uh, they're high performance, a lot of them. They're significantly different from their U.S. counterpart. They're fairly rare in that, you know, instead of making 250,000 of them, maybe they make 25,000. They're quirky. Some of them have some neat things like gullwing doors or target tops, kind of cute. And they usually have low miles on them, which we'll go into here in a second. So why are there so few and why do they have such low miles for the most part? Well, there's five reasons. The cost of tolls in Japan, the traffic public transportation, the cost to get a license, and ownership costs. So tolls in Japan are pretty high. They're not as high as, honestly, I thought they were, but they're still really high. So a train ride from Tokyo to Kyoto costs 120 bucks and takes two and a half hours. This is just for comparative sakes. If you were to drive a car, it would take six hours to drive, so you doubled your time, more than doubled your time. You'd have approximately $90 in tolls, and you'd have to hope that wherever you're going, there's parking because a lot of the hotels don't actually have parking because everybody's taking public transportation or the train. And if there is parking, parking would cost 10 to $15 per night. And once there, you would have to pay additional tolls as you drove around and toured around. It costs about $30 per hour to drive just about anywhere in Japan. And I'm assuming that doesn't include the little country roads. Now, traffic is really insane in Japan, most, especially in the big cities such as Tokyo. And public transportation is prolific. So they have trains everywhere. You can go anywhere in Japan you want. And they have bullet trains that connect all of the larger cities. Now, as I mentioned before, getting a driver's license is expensive. It's about $3,000. And apparently it's very hard. There's multiple levels of tests you have to take. And then the cost of owning a car in Japan. I kind of went a little nuts on this. I went a little bit of a deep dive. So before you can actually buy a car and own a car in Japan, you have to prove that you have a parking spot within about two kilometers of your house before you can even buy a car. You have to have proof of a parking spot. Now, what does a parking spot cost in Japan? It costs anywhere around $1,800 to $2,200 a year. So straight up, you're talking $1,800 to $2,200 bucks just for your parking spot, which probably isn't that far off from our major cities like New York. And some other things, they, the inspection you have to get every two years is called the shaken. You're shaken down every two years. For a white plate car, it's approximately $1,000 to $1,400 a year. Yellow plate is a little bit cheaper, anywhere from $250 to $800. The tax on the car every year for a yellow plate car is probably around $500 a year. Insurance, if you do the regular insurance, the additional insurance could be up to $1,000 a year. So from a cost perspective, all in on a yellow plate car, you're looking around $2,600 a year to $4,400 a year on a white plate car, depending on the cost. So... A lot of money right out the gate just to, quote-unquote, have the rights to own a car. So now why are J JDM cars in demand right now? There's a lot of different reasons. Uh, the Toyota Corolla AE86 kind of started the whole JDM trend. So this car was not necessarily the prettiest car, the fastest car. But what was cool about it and why it got a cult following is that it was a lightweight car. It was rear engine. You could get it with a manual shifter. It was easy to work on. High-revving engine strong after parts industry on it 
it kind of started the trend for drifting, which is huge now. So as more of these cars got out, people started drifting them. Folks started looking at, well, what else is out there that could do this? And that that's where you started getting the Nissan Skylines. You started getting some of the other ones like the Nissan Silvia that they could take out and race, which started increasing the price. You know, that hopped upon over here because of movies such as the Fast and the Furious franchise. And another thing, the Nissan Skyline GTR known as the Godzilla, it became a legend on the video game Forza in the 1990s. So teenagers wanted it then because they were driving it in a video game and today they can afford them. So you have all these different factors occurring right now. So JDM cars started coming across and being imported legally when they hit that 25 year mark. They've become mainstream. One example of how they become mainstream is my favorite magazine, Sports Car Market, has a Rising Sun article every month where it recaps recent sales of Japanese JDM cars. And I saw five JDM cars just this past weekend at Dayton Cars and Coffee, which is pretty cool. And they were all right-hand drive cars. Some were a little nicer than others for sure. There's a great article on JDM Watch. The link is on my blog titled the 10 best JDM cars you can buy right now. It's a little dated. I think it was 2016. Uh, so they had their top 10 cars. Ironically, the folks at Car Knowledge, they also picked the same exact top 10 cars for their list. And then the Drifted website, which I think they also have a magazine, they posted their list of the top 11 cars from the 1990s. And that matched for the most part. I think nine of the 10 matched. And they added a few more. They added the Nissan 300ZX and the Honda NSX, which that's not a typo. In Japan, it was called the Honda NSX. Here, it's known as the Acura NSX. So in general, the top 10 JDM cars are the Mazda RX-7. Now, these are, everybody uses the, the model type uh, with this as well. For the Mazda RX-7, built from 1991 to 2002, it's the FD3S. That's a particular generation, which can get kind of confusing. A lot of times you'll hear a JDM driver talking about doing an engine swap. He might say, I have the Subaru Impreza, you know, WRX STI, but I have it with a FD3S engine. So that means they put the Mazda engine into a Subaru. It gets very confusing, but hopefully one day I'll learn it all. So the top 10 again, Mazda RX-7, uh, 91 to 2002, Subaru Impreza WRX STI, 1992 to 2000. Honda Civic, the Type R was 1997 to 2001. Uh, the Nissan Silvia, 1989 to 2002. The Nissan Pulsar GTIR, which is ugly, but still really cool. It's 1990 to 1994. That was kind of like the Subaru Impreza WRX competition from Nissan. The, as I mentioned before, the Toyota Corolla AE86. Mitsubishi Lancer Evo 6, 1999 to 2001. Nissan Skyline R32 GTR, that's the Godzilla, 1989 to 2002. The Toyota Supra, 1993 to 2002. And the Honda Integra Type R, 1995 to 2001. So as you probably heard, a lot of these were U.S. spec cars as well. They're just a little bit different if you get them from Japan. The right-hand drive, as I mentioned before, a couple different little tweaks. I personally would kind of want one that's totally different, like a, you know, that the name's actually different. And it's got some other cool things to it. Speaking of which, there are some great JDM cars that are just kind of funky, cool, and cheap. And there's a great website, great dealer out of, I think it's North Carolina, named Duncan. I don't have the name in front of me. But 
they have, I don't know, a couple hundred JDM cars there, and I hope to get the owner on a future podcast, so stay tuned. These might not be high-performance cars, but they're still a lot of fun. Uh, some of these include the Honda Beat convertible, which is neat because it's a mid-engine car. They typically sell between ten grand and twelve grand. The Nissan Figaro, I personally like a lot. It looks like a little car from Mario, uh, from Nintendo's Mario Brothers. It just looks like kind of really cool, kind of bubbly. They go in price from eighteen grand to forty grand, so there's some high dollar ones in there, and it's cool because it has a uh, like a target top that you fold back, like as a canvas top, you can kind of slide back into the trunk, which is really neat. Uh, the Nissan Skyline, which is what the GTR is based on, but they had a lot of uh, versions that weren't the high horsepower version. So if you don't want to spend, you know, forty to eighty grand on a real GTR or higher, you can buy one of these for fifteen to twenty-five k. It still looks really cool. The Nissan Fairlady 300ZX, which I mentioned, that's probably the one I would go after. And they're not as expensive as I thought. This online, they were 13 to 18 grand, and they only had like 30 to 50,000 miles on them. Uh, Nissan President sedan, this is pretty cool. Think of your big four-door sedan, but a Japanese version with the uh, side view mirrors on the front fenders, kind of stately looking. Those are 10 to 13 grand. There's a Nissan Cedric station wagon you can get for about 10 grand. Uh, let's see, a Daihatsu Hijet van. And these are kind of neat because they look like a small VW camper bus. And they have a kit where you can dress it up to look like one of those. And it has actually the VW logo you can put on the front of it, like the old VW buses from back in the 60s. The Autozom AZ1 Gullwing. These are pretty cool because they have Gullwing doors, small little, small little car. The Suzuki Cappuccino Convertible. 10 to 13 grand. Nice little, looks like a little muscular Miata. And then the Mazda Cosmo Coupe. So those are just a few I called out here. These have fun performance, reasonable cost. Um, and for all JDM cars, they're rarely seen. There's a robust aftermarket parts industry going on and a strong car culture, especially when you include the drifting aspect of it. So these are just a few reasons why you should look at buying a JDM car. For our next podcast, I'll talk about some of the JDM dealers in the U.S., the cost to import your own JDM car with links in case you want to do it yourself, and which one you should buy next year as more cars hit the 25-year mark. So that's pretty exciting. We have, quote-unquote, newer JDM cars coming up to market soon every year. Look like, I think the last year of the classic ones, quote-unquote classic ones, was 2002. So we can buy the 2002 cars in 2027 so we have a number of years that we can go after these jdm cars and bring them over a future podcast i'll review recent auction trends in the jdm market interviews with jdm suppliers and dealers and a few more surprises so thanks for joining us this week and i will talk to you all next week (laughs) 